This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Blood Red podcast. My name is James Pearce, the Echo's Liverpool reporter, and I'm delighted to say I am joined today by former Liverpool left-back John Arnarisa. John, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Very good indeed, thank you. All the better after Sunday. That was, uh, that was probably the most dramatic finish we've ever seen to a Merseyside derby. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, first it was a great game of football. You know, I think both teams played well. Uh, Everton is, you know, uh, have a, made a great challenge against us. But uh, obviously I was uh, extremely happy with the finish uh, in the 96th minute. And uh, another three points, which I think was important for the rest of the season. And hopefully you know, for Divock Origi, maybe a, a rebirth for him at the club because he's probably the most unlikely of Derby heroes. You know what, I mean, these are the things that can change a man's career, you know. Uh, a goal like that because uh, he's been so far out in the system, like he hasn't played for a long time, confidence is low, and then you, you get a chance to come in this game and you score the winner, you know, your confidence is going to grow and uh, obviously the manager's belief and the fans' belief is going to come back and uh, I think that's the right thing for him now and hopefully he can kick on. Now we're here to talk about your new autobiography, Running Man, that's uh, out now. It, it's been some journey for you, two decades as a pro, winning the title with Monaco, the Champions League, the League Cup, the FA Cup, two UEFA Super Cups at Liverpool, 348 games for the club between 2001 and 2008, 110 caps for Norway. Was it, was it time now that you've hung up your boots to, to get it all down on paper? You know, to be honest, uh, I, did, I think it was a good thing for me because I was the one who decided to, to retire, which is easier when it comes to not being injured and have to retire. Yeah. But, uh, I must admit that uh, I just lost a little bit of edge when I, because I was known for training with the team and then going to the gym and do the extra work. And while I was playing at the end, I didn't have that edge to do that. And I thought, you know what, I always give 100%. If I can't do that, then I'd rather stop. But uh, I miss the game. And sometimes when I watch a few games now, I'm thinking, how on earth is that guy playing in the Premier League? And how is that guy playing in the Premier League? And I think I should have played there still. But uh, you know, I made my decision and I'm happy with it. But uh, I do miss uh, playing. I'm sure you do. I mean, it's, this isn't your usual footballer's autobiography. I think it's fair to say you, you don't gloss over the, the tough times. Nothing's sugar-coated in it. Was that was that important to you to to not just kind of drift over the the, the tough experiences you've had? Yeah, I think when you write a book, uh, you know everybody knows what you've done on the pitch and all the stories from the dressing room and the trophies. I think that's written well in papers, but. I thought when I was going to write a book, I wanted to be open and honest, uh, show people that even though you're successful in sports or any job, you might have your personal struggles in life like everybody else does. And so I decided to be open and honest and just talk about that and, and show people that even though I had a tough time as, uh, in my career, uh, in my life, I still managed to turn into something positive and work hard for my, my goal. And uh, I just want to prove that it is possible for everybody else to do it. And also I wanted people to get to know the real John Anuiz, you know, the person, not just through the media and what they read in the papers, but actually who I am. Before we look back on your, your career, let's, let's just talk a bit about what you're up to these days. Where, where are you based and what are you up to? Well, I'm based in Norway, Oslo. Um, I'm doing my coaching badges now. I just finished my, my B license now and I'm looking to get into coaching as soon as possible. Uh, obviously, I want to go straight into it and then do the A license and UEFA Pro while I'm coaching. So uh, at the moment I'm very focused on, on getting uh, a job into coaching and, and just use my experience and I know what I want 
where I want to go, how I want my setup to be done, everything. So I just need to, that one chance to get started. And is it, do you mainly maybe see it as, a, as a, being a coach or as a manager? Do, do you want to be the main man? I want to be the main man, but obviously it takes time to get to the, yeah. that level, you know. Uh, obviously, like CVG and Frank Lampard and all those people, they are like idols when you look at how they're doing it and, and the steps they're making. So, yeah, hopefully I can be the main man at one stage, but I know it could take time and maybe be an assistant first or whatever, but uh, I want to stay in football and, and use my experience to, to become a manager. You mentioned Steven Gerrard there, he's enjoyed a great start to his managerial career at Rangers. I take it that's not a great surprise to you, you must have thought playing alongside him that he was probably destined to make that leap one day. Yeah, there was two players that I knew that was going to do what they're doing now, like Kara, I knew he was going to go to Pondicherry. You know, he was, he's brilliant, uh, he's always been, he loves football, knows so much of football, I think he's, he's brilliant. And then Steve G was, it was quite obvious that he's going to go into management because he's, he's so calm, he knows so much of football. and. He has respect uh, in the football world, so uh, I think he made the right choice when he took the under-18s first and then the next step for Rangers. I think it's he's proving now he's taking step by step and uh, I think there's not many, many years before he might be the manager of, of Liverpool as well. Just taking you back to when you were growing up in Norway, was it always the the dream to make it as a pro? Were you, did you ever seriously think about doing anything else? Or? No, I mean, football has always been my life. I mean, my mom was playing football, my dad played football. Uh, so it was, I was born with a, a football in my hand and just kept playing. But as a boy, you dream about, like the big dream is obviously national team and, and being professional. But it stops there. You never dream about playing for a certain club or winning the Champions League or stuff like that. You just yeah. think about, I want to make it. Uh, and then see how it goes and I put the hard work in. You, you talk in the book about the, the bullying that you suffered as a kid and the, the family issues as well that you had to, to deal with. In a way, was, was football an, an escape from that? Yeah, I think I used uh, football and training uh, as an escape because when you're young, you don't really know what's bullying because you think, well, this might be normal, but it, you, know, you realise it's not. But, so I decided to, I wanted people to like me. I tried to be good at something. So when I was 12, 13, I started training 21 times a week. Uh, around before school, after school, uh, I was shooting at my, I made a goal at my house, three, four hours a day, kept shooting and passing. Uh, so I just wanted to be the best possible way John and Risa could be when it comes to football. I didn't want to, I decided early when I retired, I want to sit down and I think, you know what, I made everything possible to hard work and I couldn't be even reaching another level if I did anything else. So, and I did that, I think I'm, I went, way beyond what I believed I could do. And, and your mum was obviously a big big part of that when you were a kid. I think you talk about the, the training programme that, that she, <laughs> she put you on because she obviously knew you know, to make it you were going to have to be a great athlete. Yeah, I mean, uh, she, the thing is though, she didn't have to push me to train because I love training. You know, yeah. I love waking up at five in the morning to go train. But she was like there to help me because you can't do it all by yourself. So she was like standing on like, top of a hill timing when I sprinted up the hill. Uh, she was making me, draw me everywhere when I needed to train, wash my clothes, make my food. Uh, so yeah, she pushed me and helped me to to get along and, and enjoy it more. And um, yeah, I have a lot to thank my mom for. And uh, she did the same with me and my brother as well. So um, she knew that we had something special. You, you started off, is it, is it Elson? Does that Elson, yeah. Elson, do you pronounce it the... Um, that was your, uh, your, your obviously your, your boyhood club. Yeah. Um, you were still a teenager, weren't you, when you made the move to Monaco? You were very, very, still very young to be going overseas. 
Yeah, I was 17, and to be honest, I decided, and it's all in my book, I decided to say no to that, the offer first. Uh, but then the morning after when I woke up, I decided to go anyway, because I've always been a guy who go my own way. Uh, I know where I want to go and don't listen too much to what people are saying or yeah. what advising me to do. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but you know, I'm, I'm just, I was so focused on doing what I wanted for myself. Uh, so I went to Monaco when I was 17. France just won the World Cup. So when I came to first training, it was Bartes, Tresige, Henri, it was the first three people I met. There. It's not, so a bad, not a bad team, was it? No, it's not a bad team. But for me, like a young kid from a small town, no, it's like you start thinking, what am I doing here? You know, am I really good enough to be a part of this team? And then yeah. it's all about putting yourself into respect in the first training. And luckily for me, it was a fitness test. And I won the fitness test in the first training, which made me a life a lot easier because I proved to the, the other more experienced that I. I got something. Yeah, and Jean Tigana was he? Was he? He was your manager when yes. you when, when there. What was what was he like to play for? You know, he was. I didn't know that much about him. I knew he was a a big legend. You know, and yeah, well well respected by the players and everybody else. Uh, uh, so calm, uh, quite funny, even though he didn't speak English. But uh, yeah, he brought me to Monaco and um, great character. He, he showed me faith and, and started playing me straight away. Obviously, you won you won the title at Monaco. Then. There'd been talk about you coming to the Premier League before the move to Liverpool actually happened, didn't there? Had you, had you, been, had you been aware for a while that I think there was talk of Leeds and obviously Fulham were in for you as well? Yeah, there was quite a few clubs because uh, I did a bad thing back then. I mistake was I went public and said I want to go to Premier League, which clothed well, was a manager then. Right, yeah. Uh, didn't like, uh, he, he knew I wanted it, but he didn't like me going to the public with it, to the media. So. I was left out of the team because of that, and but then the clubs came in, and I knew it was quite uh, big interest, um, especially O'Leary uh, from uh, from from Leeds, and obviously Shorty and I went to Fulham and wanted to be back there. So yeah, yeah it was uh, pretty close to sign for Fulham. What was it that, that swung you Liverpool's way? Well, I was sitting in Shorty and holiday house in France with a contract uh, with my agent and my mom and obviously Fulham's people. Mm. And uh, I was going to sign, I had a pen in my hand and, and deal was done, I was just going to sign and my f- agent's phone rang. And I was angry with him because, put on silent at least, because we were in a big meeting here. <laughs> he walked out and, and took the phone while I was waiting to sign. He came back in and whispered in my ear, listen, we got to go. And I'm thinking, but I have to sign first. No, no, we got to go. So I walked outside, uh, spoke to him and said it was Liverpool called and asked me if I signed already and he said no or right, you have to go to Liverpool so I said to him listen you got to go in that room and tell Sean we are not signing because I'm, I'm not going in that room so I went to the car what was said in that room I don't know but I haven't seen Sean Tignana since because I felt bad because yeah. they worked so hard to get me to Premier League but uh, it's an obvious choice when you have uh, to choose with these two clubs Thank God he didn't have his phone on silent. <laughs> yeah, no. Life could have been very different. Yeah. <laughs> the, you, your early days at Liverpool, you know, you're walking into that dressing room with Steven Gerrard, Jamie Carragher, Haman, Owen Hippie, there's some big players, big personalities. Yeah. Was it was it immediately welcoming? What was what was it like those early days? Yeah, I mean uh, obviously now finally someone spoke English so I can communicate with them in the beginning. Uh, but I still came in the dressing room and felt like a little boy because I didn't know how big Liverpool was. I knew it was big, but not that big. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm in a dressing room with probably the biggest club in the world, the best players in the world, and I'm like, still again, I'm a young boy from a small city in, in Norway, and here I am at Liverpool Football Club. Yeah. And we 
back then it was the, 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 the old Melwood training ground, which was quite small for the history. And then, but I, you know, uh, Sam Hippie was quite uh, important for me in the beginning. He was like uh, taking care of me in the beginning. But everybody was, because I'm always a guy who likes always a lot of energy. I'm talking a lot and I'm a lot. So it was easy to get in touch with people. But um, then again, I won the fitness test in my first sessions there. And, and these things put your name into respect and that yeah. people start talking to you. But what was, what was Julio like as a, as a coach? And the he was more like the, what was it, like the manager, you know? He, he wasn't always on the training pitch. He was yeah. more like Sammy Lee and, and, and Phil Thompson there. But he was a great man, uh, very friendly. The door was always open to, to speak to him. And I have so much to thank him for because, you know, he brought me to Liverpool. He showed me faith in, in, in my ability. And without him, I wouldn't have had this career. Uh, so, um, so I was very sad and when his illness came and, and we knew that he wouldn't probably be coming back to that level that he used to be when he comes to manager. Yeah, I mean, do you think, do you think that the, the heart operation that he had and do you think did he come back? Do you think he changed? Was there a was there a difference in him? Do you think when he after I mean, he came back to the touchline? I think he was more aware of his his his, his body, you know, because yeah. he had this big heart uh, operation and heart scare, and then coming back to manage it, which is a tough job, it's a stressful job to do it. Yeah, I think he 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 was a little bit calmer. He wasn't so energetic and so like uh, angry or like. He didn't get his message the same way. But he was still a great manager, but I think himself and also the players knew that he won't be the same as he was, but still a good manager. I mean, it, was a, <clears throat> it was a dream start for you at Liverpool, really, wasn't it? You obviously won the charity shield against United, the, the Super Cup final against Bayern, um, and then your, your first Premier League goal. You know, if you could have handpicked one, it probably wouldn't have been anything different than that, would it? Running half the length of the pitch at Goodison to no. score in a derby win. No, I mean, uh, I think it's important for any player who comes to a new club, you know, you all want to do well in the beginning because you want to be accepted by the, by the fans, by the players and by the club. And being fairly unknown when I came to the club, uh, I wanted to show that I have something that deserved to be at this club. Um, so, and I've always been a guy who, for the big occasion, you know, I always seem to do well or score a goal when I really have to. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, by Bayern on the Super Cup, I scored my first goal there at Monaco, which was like meant to be. Uh, and then my first derby, um, playing left wing, uh, scored again. Uh, and that means life is a lot easier when you're a new player. And it wasn't long after that, the goal against United came as well, was it? Was it Didi Haman touched it off to you? And yeah. Have you ever hit a ball sweeter than that? No. I mean, I keep telling people because I didn't feel I hit a ball. It just flew off my foot. Uh, and again, but at that point, I, I remember in the morning of the game, uh, Phil Thompson came to me and said, uh, John, you better play well today. I said, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but then he showed me back to the papers and the papers was like, because I did an interview the day before in Norway and it translated into, so the headline was Risa, I'll break Beckham's legs. <laughs> that was the headlines. <laughs> so in the morning of the day game, I wake, I get these papers in front of me from Phil Thompson. I said, oh. Jesus, what's happening now? So I knew I had to play well. Yeah. So when I stood in front of the free kick, I said to myself, you know what? This is my moment. This is my moment. And whatever happened, happened, and then I scored. And the fans, fans still sing about it now. That, that, that song must mean a lot to you. 
It means, I mean, it's, it means a lot because it shows that you've done something they appreciate and I always wanted to give the fans 110% commitment to the club and to the shirt and yes I made mistakes and yes I did some wrong passes, could have scored more goals, bad defending but nobody could take away that I always put my heart and sleeve on that uh, shirt and gave 100% on the pitch and I think that's what people want and I, was, I wanted to be a fan's player, you know, yeah. to give back to the fans. I always wanted every club I've been to and I think I achieved that and the song's still being sung and my Instagram and my Twitter is always mad about this goal and especially when Liverpool United is, is up. Is that your favourite favorite one of the ones you scored for Liverpool? It's by far the most important one when it comes to uh, being accepted uh, for who I am as a player yeah. uh, because I, I, I know I was never a Messi, Ronaldo or CVG. I had a left foot, I had commitment, stamina, fitness and stuff like that, but, and a team player. Uh, so that's all I had, but uh, I think people accept me for where I was. You finished second to Arsenal in, that, in your first season at the club, and I think all the talk that summer was about taking that final step and finally, finally winning the Premier League title. Liverpool spent quite a lot of money relatively at the time. Then that summer, El Hadjouf, Salif Jal, Bruno Cherou. At, at what point did you think like many players must have thought these aren't going to take us where we, where we need to go. But I think, I think when you buy these players, you know, the manager have an idea and, and seen potential in them, but it doesn't all work out the right way when it comes to a new club and a new, new league. So, and I don't think any of them really, of the three you mentioned that, really managed to show what they can do because the league might be different or tougher than I thought it was or whatever. But, we knew quite quickly uh, as a team that uh, these kind of side weren't decided they're going to make the next step because they, didn't, yeah. they couldn't get out whatever talent they had and show before, but they didn't show it to us uh, on a regular basis. You know, like Diouf, again, always in the papers and you know, saying bad things about Liverpool and, and I don't think that's a nice thing to do, but he had technique, but then again, he didn't show it a lot and then he wasn't good enough. And, Shiru was, uh, I think it was, he had a, I think Julio said he was a new Zidane and when you give a player that, the pressure, the pressure, I think he felt that because he was a good player but he didn't, yeah. all about players signing, they need to show what they have and if you can't do it then it looks a little bit silly. Finished fifth that season but mm. you, you did have the League Cup final, so your first major honour with, with Liverpool, what are the memories of that day against United at Cardiff? You know, it's always nice to win a trophy, uh, you know, uh, playing a big game. Uh, and for me, as coming from Norway, you know, it's Liverpool and United was a big two supporting clubs in, in Norway uh, and still is. So, and it's also nice when you have Riese and Solskjaer, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of that battle is important. But yeah, winning trophies is like something you dream about and makes a season successful, even though it would finish fifth, which was a disappointment. The following season, obviously, come 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 the summer, Gerard Houllier leaves. Um, as players, did you did you sense that a, a change was on the cards? Yeah, I, I don't know how and and how it managed to end to that, but you know the result wasn't as good as it should have been. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, a change was probably best for the, for the team at that moment. Uh, and but coming a new manager, you know everything changes in dressing room. You know uh, you still. You feel like you're okay. I'm part of the team, and then another manager comes in. And you think, "Ooh, I gotta start all over again." Lucky for me, it was uh, a manager who liked me. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, looking from the outside, it looked like you got a new lease of life. Mm. When, when Rafa came in, I think you, know, you, didn't, you didn't score a goal, I think, in Julio's last season. You got eight in, in 2004-05. What, what, what do you think changed for you? I think when, it, when a new manager comes in, uh, like you said, you get a new start. You need to start all over again and show the new manager that you're good enough and who you are. And because you never know what the manager is looking for. Uh, luckily for me, Rafa was like a manager who likes, he loves players who give 110%, yeah. team players, tactically good, who runs a lot for the team. So I just wanted to start the pre-season and, and the season well, being fit and strong. And, you know, uh, he gave me a new start, a new life. and. Um, like you said, I started scoring goals again and, and playing well. So, yeah, I think I, personally I needed that change just to get myself restarted again. Um, one of those goals, obviously, against Chelsea in the in the League Cup final. It was only the first minute of the game, wasn't it? That one. The, uh, just a, a shame, obviously, that it's not remembered f- for that because of Steven Gerrard's unfortunate own goal and then what happened in extra time. Yeah, I mean uh, that is probably one of the sweetest volleys I had uh, in my career because. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, I think it was 42 seconds something. Uh, I do think it was Morientes who crossed it, back post, and I got it in the, in the far corner. But yeah, it was a great start, and, and always nice to score against in a, in a cup final. And I had a thing of scoring against Chelsea, and one time for Chelsea. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a, always. A, but I mean, who scores doesn't matter as long as we win, and we didn't win that game, and that goal didn't mean nothing. But I think what more than made up for it was obviously what happened in, in Europe that season, the, the amazing road to, to Istanbul. I mean, you, you were involved in all those big nights uh, along the way. I suppose the, the first kind of major one was Olympiakos, wasn't it? When you think back to, to that night, to be, you, you needed someone to step up and deliver and it was, it was the captain. I mean, in life, there's certain signs you get in life that tells you something is meant to be here. And I think that Olympiacos game, going 1-0 down at half-time and have to score three goals in the second half, and then you have you have certain players in the team that can do that for you. And yeah. CBG was the man we always could trust, uh, coming up with something special, and he did that game, and we got through to the knockout stage. And, but the one game, I, obviously Olympiacos won, but the one game I always remember is um, the Chelsea game in the second leg at Anfield. Yeah. Because Luis Garcia, the ghost goal, uh, I remember the, for the official put up six minutes of injury time and I couldn't believe it was six minutes left but I was so tired. Good Johnson with a miss, yeah. With a miss on like a yard from the from the goal line. So and then the celebrations after at the stadium with the fans because that night was probably the most atmosphere I ever ever witnessed at yeah. any football club or football game because it was unreal. Yeah. I mean it had been so long, hadn't it, since Liverpool and yeah, and and look, I get you from now, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just like because, and I remember myself stripping down to my undies as well, giving me my shirt and shorts away to the fans. Because I mean, the last six minutes of injury time, it was like, it was the longest six minutes of my life, but at the same time, the fans was just, yeah. it gave us so much energy. And winning that, you could see the happiness from, for all the directors and owners and the fans and the players and the coaches was just and even the journalists were crazy so it's like it's a, it's a day I will never forget obviously on to, on to Istanbul what, what's going through your head in those opening 45 minutes because obviously you have all the excitement and expectation of building up to the final and then you know it looked like it was falling to pieces for 45 yeah, minutes yeah I mean I don't think we played actually that bad the first half but you know 
come at half time you really want to just go home <laughs> to be honest because <laughs> you feel embarrassed uh, of the first 45 because you're trailing down and you, you're scared this could be really ugly in the second half if you keep going like this uh, but you know football is, is a strange game a goal can change a lot and at half time here in the fencing you never walk along Rafa changing the system to 3-5-2 and as Stevie says some a few words and then all you have to th think when you came to the second half was prove that you're good enough and you deserve to be here and try to get that first goal because if you get that first goal things will change at, w at what point did you start to believe that the miracle could happen when Stevie uh, had, it, had it in the first goal I knew that okay it's game on because we got so much energy from that yeah. uh, and belief the fans got belief and we knew Milan was just thinking uh oh we got to hang on here because but the worst thing is that we score 3-1 and then, then they get 4-1 uh, but luckily we scored 3 goals in 6 minutes yeah. and at 3-0 I knew we'll win this the, the shootout must have been a, a crazy roller coaster of emotions for you because obviously your, your penalty was saved mm -hmm. yet you know, you, you must be feeling the worst at that point, and the, and then you, you, within what, seconds you're a, you're, a, you're a champion of Europe. Yeah, I mean uh, the thing is, though, I, when I walk from the halfway line to take the penalty, normally I'm I'm sure what I'm going to do, smash. But I had so many cramps in my legs, I didn't know what to do. So I was walking yeah. up, they didn't know. I was thinking three three options: it either smash, place it, or panenka. That was the three things I was thinking about when I walk up to the, take the penalty. Even if I put the ball down, I didn't know what to do. Even when I walked back to the 18 yard line, I didn't know what to do. But as soon as I turned and looked at Dida, I went for a safety option. And that was probably the only, only time in my life I gone for a safety option. I always gone opposite and go for something special. But I went for safety, missed, well, he saved, and I was so disappointed. I mean, even though we're still ahead and stuff, I was so disappointed and angry with myself. But like you said, Couple of minutes after, you know, I'm, I'm running towards uh, Dudek with Kara, and the crowd was gone and uh, celebrating. <laughs> what was that night like, and then the, the subsequent homecoming, returning to Merseyside? Well, the night was long because we had the uh, interviews and all that after the game, so I didn't have energy to celebrate uh, in Istanbul in the hotel. I just went straight to bed. Uh, but obviously, coming back to Liverpool was. We knew it was going to be open bus, uh, and we were told it's going to take about well, two or three hours. Uh, but I think it was four or five or something they took. It was unreal, and that is probably the best day of my life when it comes to knowing that you accomplished something and did yeah. something big. Because over a million people showing up, and, and the way I think is the way the people behave. Because if you have an open bus, the people normally would jump on the bus and jump in, but they behave so perfectly. It was just a, a perfect day, and obviously we celebrated night uh, after that. The following season obviously ended with another kind of iconic cup final against West Ham in, in, in Cardiff. Um, you know, again, parallels I suppose to, to Istanbul in terms of the man who, who, who stepped up with one of, the, one of the best FA Cup final goals we've, we've ever seen and we to, to take it to extra time. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, uh, certain players are made uh, for special occasions and CVG is certainly one of them and uh, again we could trust him but there was one point, I think it was injury, uh, extra time, I was, um, Siwis G was so tired, he was down, and I went to him and said, how are you feeling? And he said he was just knackered, he was absolutely, yeah. and I could, see his, I could see his face and his eyes that he was really struggling because of how tired he was. But I just, you know, I just, I think I kissed him on the cheek or something, I said, listen, 
uh, we need you, man. This is just because of you. You made this possible. So let's go. It's on far left, and uh, we won. And sweet for you to score in the shootout after what had happened the year before. Yeah, I mean it's so important because at Insta- in Istanbul, uh, I remember Rafa always had a piece of paper in his hand and a pen. And in Istanbul, he was just looking at me like, like from ten yards away and said, and he nodded. So I just nodded back, and then he wrote something. I thought, okay, I guess I'm taking a penalty then. This game in the FA Cup final, I went straight to him and said, "Listen, Rafa, I have to take one, just for making up for last year's miss." And uh, it was a personal victory to score. I knew what I was going to do. I was going to smash the ball. Uh, so it's like a team thing first, to you know, good for the team, but also a personal victory because it made me feel much better for my for missed the year before. Third in the Premier League that season, third again the following year, and then fourth. What, why do you think that, was, that seemed like such a gifted Liverpool team? Why, why do you think you weren't able to maybe just take that final step? To be honest, though, we went, you know, in 2007, we went to another final again. I think how we did in Europe, I think it took a lot out of us. Yeah. Because um, going all, playing all the games in Europe, uh, in Champions League, all the travelling, I think maybe we didn't have the best the strongest full squad to play in both competition uh, full out. Uh, I don't know. Uh, plus, in the league, there were some great teams. You know, it was you know, small details can change the game. But um, um, I was sad. I, the only thing I regret when it comes to my time in Liverpool is that we didn't win the Premier League uh, because I think we had a certain times we had a team to to at least be very close. Uh, we never managed to take the last step. See, towards the end of your last season at Liverpool, you, you had the Champions League semi against Chelsea. You, you referred to earlier that you, uh, that was Liverpool obviously on the brink of what would have been a kind of precious one year lead to take to Stamford Bridge. You know, that, that must have preyed on your mind for, for quite a while after. Or, or are you one of the players who can just shut things off? Or? No, I mean, um, the own goal there, because Fabio Arela was playing at that game and he was injured and I came coming on. Mm. And, we still winning 1-0 and scoring their own goal in injury time was, you know, I knew it was coming a second game the week after and I knew I was probably going to play that game because I really was injured but um, it was probably the toughest, toughest and hardest week of my life when it comes to handling pressure because I got absolutely slaughtered in the media, uh, slaughtered by the Liverpool fans, even people writing stuff on the, at Melbourne training ground, stuff about me. What, on the wall outside? Yeah, on the wall, all around Melwood. So when I come to train the next morning, I can see the, the gate men trying to take it off. And my phone was off for a week. Uh, I didn't read the papers or see the TV. So it's really, really mentally really, really tough because I've done so many great things for the club and then I do one mistake and then everybody hates me. And then all that week, I know Rafa asked CVG and Kara every day, how John? Have ginge, is he well? Because I tried to be normal when I came training, but I struggled mentally because I had to prepare myself for a game. I wanted so bad that game to come the next day just to make up for the t- my mistake. But uh, so Karen Stevie told me every day, listen, Rafa is concerned about you. You know, we want you to play, but you have to show that you're ready for it mentally. So, um, and uh, even on the day, day of the game, Kara came to me, we had a walk, and Kara came to me and said, Rafa asked me about, uh, about you again and uh, I think you're playing, so prepare yourself. And I'm very happy and glad that Kara and Stevie did that to me because yeah. it made me realise that I really have to just show them. Because normally I'm happy, smiling, jumping around, but the first few days after I wasn't myself. 
But I knew that Ruff was watching me, so I had to be like the fake, <laughs> fake that yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm really happy that Steven and Keller did that to me because it made me ready for the game. Do you think that own goal contributed to Benitez going and buying the centre, or do you think he already <clears throat> made his mind up by then? I knew they were still they were looking for left back uh, before that. I heard some rumours, but I think maybe the the own goal. Maybe the pressure from my side to Rafa was too big that he needed to get rid of me, I don't know. Uh, but I didn't feel that way because when I spoke to him, he came into his office uh, and he was so honest and that's why I respect him so much because he told me exactly how he was. He didn't try to fake and, yeah. uh, fake something, he just told me, John, I think it's time for, for us to go several ways. Uh, I think you need a new challenge, you need a new left back. I didn't agree on it, it hit me like a bullet because I didn't see it coming. Uh, I have one year left in my contract, but I, could, I know when you sign a new player, I know he's going to get about six months, no matter what, how bad he plays. He got yeah. And I couldn't be on the bench for six months. I was a great age. Uh, so I just went uh, downstairs to my told the players I'm gone. And they, they asked me, gone for a day? No, gone, gone. Went to my car, started crying in my car. So disappointed. Uh, called my agent. He said to me, Johnny, Johnny, don't worry. Give me a few days and I'll sort this out. And then, so it, it was, I don't know what, if I knew back then, what I know now about Dosena, how yeah. it didn't, was a successful <laughs> signing. Yes, that'll nice be applied by you. Uh, then I would have stayed on a fight for my place. And, and I would have, because all I wanted from Rafa to say, John, you need to step it up. Yeah. If you told me before the end of the season, John, when preseason comes, you need to step it up. I would have worked my ass off in, 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 in summer and preseason to be ready for a new season. You went on to Roma, obviously some happy times there and, and Fulham as well. Like, one that sticks out for me is obviously when you came back to Anfield with Fulham. Yeah. In, I think it was 2012. You, you, you got a great reception, didn't you? That, that must have meant a lot. Yeah, I mean, you always, you know you, you, you're liked by the fans because you can see your social media stuff you, and, and you know what you've done for the club. but. Coming from another club, you never know how the reception will be, but it was great. Uh, I had tears in my eyes when I started singing my song and stuff and clapping. It meant a lot to me personally because I left on, not a bad note, because but the last thing I did for the club was uh, was scoring their own goal. Yeah. So I felt really bad for that, but I tried to make it up to them by being very social on media, I asked Q&As with my fans and stuff. and. I think we won that game as well, if I'm not, and I had an assist won, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, so it's like, for me, it was a perfect way to come back. You went on to play in Cyprus, won the League and Cup double there, a couple of spells in India uh, as well, and also back to where it all began for you in, in Elsand, in, in Norway. Um, not many players have got a statue of them <laughs> outside the club where they, where they started. It's a nice, nice thing to have. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a great thing uh, being respected by the former club and, and, and the city because uh, I think my transfers from to Monaco to Liverpool uh, was a big part of the new stadium uh, in my uh, town, uh, and they wanted to show the appreciation by giving me a statue because of what I achieved. So, yeah, getting a statue when you're 25 is not it's not a normal thing to do, but I'm very proud of that, and and, and it gives me. You know, a confirmation that I've done something in my life that I'm proud of and, and people respect. I know you said earlier you missed the buzz of playing still, but when you look back on what you achieved and from, from where you started off, 
is it mainly pride at what you went on to? Is it, or is, are there any regrets as well? Or? No, you know what? People ask me if I regret something because I've done mistakes in my life both on and off the pitch, but I think all the mistakes makes you who you are today. It makes me grow as a person. I may have done something differently if I, if I could choose, but it made me who I am today. And I'm, so, like I said in the beginning, I, I want to do... When I retire, when I stop, I want to look back that I did everything I could to be, become the best player in John Henry's could be. And I think I did more than that. I never realised I could play for Liverpool, or win this trophy, or win the Champions League. And, uh, I have a picture in my house now, when I'm holding the Champions League trophy, kissing it, when I work on France. And at that moment, when I did that on the pitch, I actually thought, I made it. You know, everything happened in my life before, all the sacrifices, was yeah. worth it. What happens in the future, I don't care because nobody can take this trophy away. And that was like the point of I think I made it. Just in terms of the current day Liverpool, I know yeah. you, you remain a, an avid fan. Um, what have you What have you made of Jurgen Klopp's reign so far? I mean, we've seen amazing progress, but but no trophies so far. Yeah, but people, and I agree. Manager, uh, you know, uh, looked at how many trophies they win, and I agree to that. But you also have to see the progress that the team has made since Klopp came. You know, he started yeah. from, I think it's three years ago now, and, and just build it up. And every year we play better football. This year he's actually changing the team to be more balanced. And yeah. The, uh, clean sheets, not conceding so many goals, not winning like four or two anymore. Uh, but still, from the football player is ridiculous. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, and I just think the fans love how Klopp is on the touchline, yeah. uh, when they do the interviews before and after the games. Uh, so I certainly do. I mean, I think it's entertaining. Uh, but yeah, hopefully soon we can have a trophy still. But at the same time, I'm not so, so concerned because I can see the progress yeah. uh, the team is making on the club and uh, he's certainly the right guy for the club. How do you see the title race this season? I, Liverpool are you know, enjoying one of the best ever starts to a season in their history yet. They're still playing catch up on, a, on an unbelievably gifted Man City team. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I watched City uh, again against um, against Watford, and it's like the football they're playing are just. I mean, the team is so strong, and it's it's, it's a shame really for, for Liverpool because yeah, in yeah, any other season, wouldn't they? Yeah, we would be yeah. flying. Yeah, but I mean, I think we are we are two points behind only. Well, uh, depending on the Burnley game, but we're two points behind, and. We're still not playing our best football this season. We're not playing as well as we did last season, even yeah. though we're having the best start because of the clean sheets and stuff. Offensively, we still have something to go at. But uh, so I can see we're fighting all the way. But we need those games against City. We need to win those games. But I can't see City slipping up. Just in, in terms of your old position, um, it had been a long-term problem for Liverpool since you left. Really, the Senna, Aurelio, Insua, Konchesky. Mm. Ali Sissoko, Jose Enrique, Moreno, have Liverpool now got a, a long-term solution there in Andy Robertson? 100%. I mean, when I was a little bit surprised when they signed him last year for, it was 8 million something. Yeah. Uh, because I was expecting him to go for like a big name signing, big yeah. money spending. But I mean, and Moreno did so well in pre-season last year. He was, he was brilliant last season. Yeah, and he then, started the season well. Yeah, and then Robertson got his chance and he didn't look back after that. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, He's offensive, he's uh, fit, uh, he's aggressive, he's good defensively, great crosser of the ball when it comes to assists. Only thing I want him to do now is take more chances to have a goal goal. Because yeah. I guess PSG, for example, he had two or three times in the, in the box where he, 
he could have shot across goal just to, to do it and he tried to cross it all the time. Uh, I wanted to be more of a goal threat even though he makes a lot of assists. And similar to you, you know, I think the fans identify him with him, don't they? Because of the, the type of all-action yeah. player he is. That, that, they love that commitment, don't they? That they see from him. And, and I, think, I think all fullbacks have to be like that now, you know? I think probably I was probably one of the first ones who started that kind of fullback uh, play with up and down and shooting and crossing for assists. Uh, it wasn't all that typical Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher type of fullback with like doesn't go much offensively. Uh, so now it, everybody has to be. I think the fullbacks is the player on the pitch with the most touches and, and have to be the most involved. So uh, he's the right one for that. And um, yeah, I'm very happy and uh, he will he will be there for many many years to come. Brilliant. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time, Running Man. Is out now. It's a it's a fantastic read, and uh, good luck with what your next chapter of your life, John. Thank you very much, John. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.